0: Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. I wonder if you would be willing to take out your phone's and aim them at the QR code that will appear on the screen. Then if you follow the instruction there, I'm wondering if you'd be willing to answer or complete a statement. The statement is, the hard question about my life that I would like God to answer is. The hard question about my life that I would like God to answer is." We'll come back to those later. Today we begin a new series entitled Soundtracks, The Music of Your Life. It's a series based on the book of Psalms, four different Psalms we will consider. That can be part of the soundtrack, part of the music of our lives. But even as we enter into that, we recognize, if we pause to think about it, I thought about it this week and realized this, we recognize that in many ways the Psalms already form part of the music of our lives. Think about the experiences you have and the way the music, the statements of the Psalms weave their way into those experiences. I'VE HAD THE SACRED PRIVILEGE OF STANDING AROUND MORE HOSPITAL BEDSIDES THAN I CARE TO REMEMBER, HOLDING THE HANDS OF FAMILY MEMBERS AND SAYING, THOUGH I WALK THROUGH THE VALLEY OF THE SHADOW OF DEATH, I WILL FEAR NO EVIL, FOR YOU ARE WITH ME. THERE HAVE BEEN THOSE TIMES OF DARKNESS WHEN MY MIND GOES TO THE PSALM QUOTED BY JESUS ON CALVARY, MY GOD, MY GOD, Why have you forsaken me? In a different kind of darkness, in nature, looking up at the panoply of the heavens, thinking of the psalmist's words, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Or in those moments where the call to repentance is clear in our lives, where we've deeply blown it, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing kindness, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Or what about times of danger? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Time and again, in one circumstance or another, the Psalms provide the music for our lives. The Psalms, after all, have it all. They have the ups, the downs, the highs, the lows, the light, the darkness, the joys, the sorrows. They're all contained there, the entire range of human emotional experience. If you need words with which to express your anger to God, look to the Psalms. If you need phrases for your praises, look to the Psalms. If you need a way to be honest and clear and open with God, go to the Psalms. If you have questions that you wonder if you can ask, go to the Psalms. In fact, it is on that last one that we begin questions. What about it, God? Life is not fair. I sat in a circle, a grief recovery group. Many tears flowed. The sound of sobbing was the musical bed of the meeting. And it was while we were there talking about the losses, losses that had different stories, different specifics, but that were bound together by our common humanity, our common sorrow, and the common question, why did this happen? This is not fair. It was in that setting that one of the group members said this. He said, the only fair I know is once a year, and that's in Pomona. If you happen to be uninitiated to SoCal, Pomona is the site of the annual L.A. County Fair. And he was saying, that's the only fair I know, and that's only once a year. In other words, he was saying to the group, stop wondering about fairness. Life isn't fair. Well, that may be good enough for some, but it's not good enough for all. What do we do about our questions when life is not fair? Today we begin with Psalm 73. Psalm 73, there are many, maybe, some, maybe, many authors to the Psalms. 6, 8, 12, 14, some are unnamed, we're not sure. We know some of the names, 73 are attributed to David, whether that's David himself or psalmists psalmist writing from the school of David. There's a bit of difference on that. There are other psalmists, the sons of Korah, Asaph, whom we will look at today. Moses has a psalm. A variety of different people penned the psalms. This one is by Asaph. We don't know what occasioned the psalm. In other words, what were the circumstances that created his need to sit down and write what we're about to read? We don't know. But we do know that he was facing the unfairness of life, and he had questions about that, questions for God. So let's begin Psalm 73. He starts by saying, Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. He starts out with a statement of faith. We don't know much about Asaph. He was, like I said, probably one of the the chief musicians in King David's court. We don't know much about him, but we do know that he had faith in the sense that he could say God is good ultimately. If we were using our terminology today, we would say Asaph is a disciple, but he is a disciple with questions. Questions. Verse 2. But as for me, I almost lost my footing, my feet were slipping, and I was almost gone. So he starts out saying, God is good. God is good to his people. But do you want to talk about me? Do you want to talk about my life? I'll tell you what my life is like. It's as though I'm standing on a boulder by the ocean. It is solid. It is strong. I have a sense of confidence. And then I get hit by a wave of circumstances, and suddenly everything is drenched, and suddenly my footing is not secure. My feet are slipping out from under me. I'm almost lost. I'm almost gone. That may describe you this morning. You've come into worship with a question. Maybe created by a recent circumstance or set of circumstances. Or you may have come in with a question that has become your life question. You have no answer for it, and it is affecting everything about your spiritual, emotional, and relational journey. ASAP says, My feet are slipping out from under me. So, what can create a situation like that? Death can a loved one taken from you. I've been thinking in recent weeks, in the years I've been privileged to be a part of this community and a part of this pastoral team, I'm not sure we've ever had two months, two and a half months, with more deaths than we have had. Every weekend, a memorial service, a funeral or two, Some is for family members who, after a long and full life, have gone to their rest. Others have been almost like a hammer in the back of the head, a bolt out of the blue, no explanation, full health and wellness, gone. Others have been families struggling along the cancer road, praying and coming to the end my feet are almost gone they're slipping out from under me death can do it bad news can do it you look into the eyes of the person who said to you i do and now is saying i don't i'm done i'm out i'm gone and suddenly your world turns upside down how am i supposed to face with this how do i face this how do i deal with this You made good financial decisions, maybe. You had all your ducks in a row, and suddenly something went sideways, and now you're not sure where the next house payment, the next car payment, the next rent payment is coming from. And you can relate then to Asaph, who says, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping. I was almost gone. God is good, he says. But as for me, I'm about to collapse. So how does he deal with that? How does Asaph respond to that set of circumstances in his life? Well, fasten your seatbelts, because we're going to read a number of verses, almost in staccato-like fashion, as Asaph unpacks what he's doing with it. He's brutally honest, starting with verse 3. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jewel necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil in their pride. They seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens and their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. What does God know, they ask? Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people, enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Asaph books, bookends those statements. In a way that we know exactly the content of all he says. He starts out with. They're prospering despite their wickedness. And he ends up with. Enjoying a life of ease while they multiply their wickedness. So what he's saying is. I look around me at the people that are opposed to God. Opposed to God's ways. And all I see is prosperity. And then he evidently looks at his own life. And says God. That is a different story. Now, Asaph is doing something here that's never wise to do. He's comparing his insides to the outsides of others. You ever done that? You look at your insides, you're full of uncertainty, agony, questions, doubt, fear, depression, despair. And then you look at the outsides of all these other people. And, man, they look good. They got it all together. I mean, I'm standing up here looking at you. Everybody took a bath this morning, shaved. God threat, you're looking good. And then you look up here, and you say, have mercy. Those are some good-looking kids. And those are our students from Loma Linda University. <laughs> or not. <laughs> but they look great. And you say, they have it all together. Life is good. How can I stand up when compared to that? Or when compared to this? I compare my insides to their outsides, to your outsides. We always end up losing. That's what Asaph is doing. He's looking at his life. Things are a mess. I look at their lives. Everything is together. How can I deal with that? Well, the truth is we lose because that's just the outsides. If we look into each other's lives, as we will see from the questions in a few moments, a different story is told. Different burdens are born. In a beautiful group, a talented group like this one, there are students who are worried, where's my next tuition payment coming from? I might be pregnant. I think the one I'm in love with is going to break up with me on this trip and we're on a bus. <laughs> when we go into the insides, there's a lot more of Asaph in every one of us than we might at first think. So he compares himself with others where does that end up he ends up really kind of bargaining with God verse 14 pardon me 13 did I keep my heart pure for nothing did I keep myself innocent for no reason I get nothing but trouble all day long every morning brings me pain come on God I have made the right choices the wise choices I'm innocent I've chosen your ways and every morning I wake up to more pain what are you doing to me I deserve better than this that's not fair is bargaining with God or trying to. And yet, even there, there's some reservation about how much he'll say. He doesn't tell us necessarily why but listen to these words verse 15 if I had really spoken this way to others I would have been a traitor to your people so I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, prosper but what a difficult task it is in other words I could have said all these things but I haven't said them to you because then I'm gonna look like I'm outside the group I look like I'm a traitor to your people I don't want to make other people stumble and I really don't want to look bad I want to look like I'm a person of strong faith so I don't say any of this so I come into church, and how are you doing? Great, happy Sabbath, everything good? Yeah, everything's good, we're all great. And you just had a horrible fight on the way in the car, and you don't even know if you believe in God. Happy Sabbath. <laughs> That's what Asaph is saying. So where does it get him? notice what he says verse 21 then I realized that my heart was bitter I was all torn up inside I was so foolish and ignorant I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you where does he end up he ends up messed up struggling not able to sort things through God this isn't fair. You should be treating me better than this. Lee Eklov is a pastor and writer who penned these words. When I was a kid in the mid-50s, Parker Brothers came out with a game for church families like ours it was called going to jerusalem your playing piece wasn't a top hat or scotty dog like in the worldly game of monopoly and going to jerusalem you got to be a real disciple you were represented by a little plastic man with a robe a beard some sandals and a staff In order to move across the board, you looked up answers to questions in the little black New Testament provided with the game. I remember that you always started in Bethlehem and you made stops at the Mount of Olives, Bethsaida, Capernaum, the Stormy Sea, Nazareth, and Bethany. If you rolled the dice well, you went all the way to the triumphal entry to Jerusalem. But you never went to Calvary. There were no demons or angry Pharisees. You only made your way through the nice stories. It was a safe adventure, perfectly suited for a Christian family on a Sunday afternoon walk with Jesus. It never occurred to me while leaning over that card table, jiggling the dice in my hand, that traveling with Jesus wasn't meant for plastic disciples who looked up verses in a little black Bible, If you're going to walk with Jesus as his disciple in this world, you need to change your expectations. After all, Jesus said, If you would come after me, take up your cross and follow me. Asaph would not have known about Calvary or Jesus. But in the sweep of the revelation we call Scripture. We have to modify our expectations and realize that discipleship with Jesus is not a neat, clean game that we can participate in with laughter and joy and in which we have all the answers. And I can show them to you right here. You don't need to worry. That's not discipleship. Discipleship takes us to hard places, places called Calvary and demands we ask questions for which there is no simple or easy answer. That's discipleship. That's what it means to follow in the footsteps of people like Asaph, who came to God saying, life is not fair. I've been good. They're doing well. I'm doing bad. God, what's up? I have some questions. But there is something we need to take note of. Right in the heart of the psalm, Asaph makes a rather profound statement. It's found in verse 17. Here's what he says. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and finally understood the destiny of the wicked. May I paraphrase that? Asaph says, I went into your holy place, He doesn't explain what, but there was some kind of experience, some kind of encounter with God, some kind of understanding that came to him that said, Asaph, I got it under control. Justice will come. Life is not fair now. You are correct, but stay with me. Walk with me. Because while the arc of justice is long, it continues to bend toward greater and greater justice. He had an experience with God. In fact, listen to it in the words of Eugene Peterson, penned in Peterson's Paraphrase the Message, two verses, right at that point. This is Asaph. When I tried to figure it out, all I got was a splitting headache until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I saw the whole picture it was a paradigm shift somehow he came to understand something different he came to experience god in a new way i sat by the bedside as a chaplain one of the cloverleaf towers of the old hospital patient in the bed dire prognosis bed by the window I was sitting in a chair by the window listening to the story the questions the anger the pain the fear Happened to look out the window saw the parking lot parking lot that was where the new hospital is saw the parking lot saw a car making its way up one row and down another you know, a lot in Loma Linda has changed, but one thing never changes no parking. <laughs> and I sat watching, up one row and down another. And while I was watching, I saw a car over here pull out. I saw an empty parking place here. And I watched that car continue to make its way up and down. Further from where parking lay. And I remember thinking a right perspective could really change things, could change life. Seems to me that that's part of what Asaph is saying. I went into the temple. And I experienced God in a way that changed my perspective. It was a paradigm shift. And from that point on, something changes in Asaph. In fact, the words are the words of the late James Montgomery Boyce, but... You have to catch this because he talks about the movement that Asaph makes in this psalm. Notice what Boyce wrote. Here's a final observation I hope you will remember. It concerns the progression of the dominant pronouns in the psalm. In the first section, as far as verse 12, the emphasized pronoun is they, referring to the wicked. The psalmist has his eyes fixed on them. In the second section, 13 to 17, the dominant pronoun is I. Having seen the prosperity of the wicked, the psalmist looks at himself and falls into unjustified comparisons. In the third section, 18 to 22, the dominant pronoun is you. Here the psalmist has stopped comparing himself to other people and is thinking about God. Then in the final section of the psalm, 23 to 28, you and I are combined Here Asaph says, you, meaning God, you, have set your hand upon me, and I, for my part, want nothing on earth but you. Something has happened to Asaph. We don't know how long it took him to write this psalm. Did he write it in an afternoon? Did he write it over a few days or weeks? Did he write it over a few years? I don't know how long, but I do know this. There is movement in what happens to Asaph, and I want you to notice how that movement primarily happens. It happens because Asaph essentially says, I will not stop talking to God. I will not stop talking. Even if all that I have to say to God are questions, I won't stop talking. You remember the, the, the early statements we read? Those fat cats have everything. Those wicked people have great lives and great bodies. They're, they're getting rich. Remember all those statements? Maybe those aren't statements. Maybe those are questions. Now, what Asaph is really saying is, God, why? I've been faithful to you. Why do the fat cats have it all? Why do the wicked have all the health? Why do those who are faithless with you have their financial issues settled? Why, God? That's the implied reality. So that Asaph just keeps asking his questions. What if we were more brutal and honest in our prayer life? Not any of these prayers that are wrote and memorized... Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my... By the way, that's a freaky prayer for a little kid to pray, but anyway, be that as it may. Not any of those rote kinds of prayers. God is great, God is good, Lord, I thank you for the food. Not that kind of stuff. What if our prayer life consisted of what's deeply and truly within us, including the questions? Maybe that's what Asaph teaches us. That even if it's questions, we never stop talking to God. That's how his change came about. What if there are periods of time, points of time, experiences in your life when all you will have if you pray are questions, questions to ask? Then make that your prayer life. There's no praise in your heart. There's no petition. There's no poetic prose. Just questions. God, what's happening? Just don't stop talking to God. I want to read you the last verse of the psalm. This is where Asaph ends up. Here's what it says. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. That's not a trite statement. That comes out of his struggle, his agony, his questions, his accusations. But at the end of it all, he says, God, it's so good to be near you. I want to share with others what you've done for me. Don't stop talking. Even if all you have is questions. In fact, we do have questions. Questions that I'd like you to see. Questions that arise out of this community. This community of people that I love and that you love. So as the music plays, just watch the screen. And consider the questions we have today. I'd like to ask you to be in whatever posture most closely reflects your heart. You can stay seated. You can stand. You can kneel. But I'd like to bring our questions to God and to do it as a community. So I invite you to pray with me. it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to read our questions. Do you love us? What's the purpose for our lives? Why do the good die young? Why do I have ruptured relationships and fractured friendships? Why were my parents' prayers not answered? Lord, question after question. It's so easy to stuff them down, not share them with others, live behind a mask, and to let that carry over into our relationship with you. Lord, please give us the courage number one, to never stop talking to you, and number two, to be utterly honest in our conversations with you. Lord, you know what's here anyway. Give us honesty, candor, health in our relationship with you. And Lord, honestly, I just pray that somehow in an experience with you, maybe in a worship service, maybe in nature, maybe in reading your words, somehow that a paradigm shift would come So that some of these questions could be answered. Give us the courage to never stop talking and to never stop asking. In Jesus' name, amen.